Hey, aloha, everybody, and welcome to our fifth edition of the second season of Coffee with Coach. And we have a loaded show for you today. Uh, going to talk about the draft again. We're going to stack our board with offensive tackles, and there are some really, really good ones on the board. Uh, and then we're going to get into a conversation about free agency with one of the super agents in the NFL, Paul Sheehy from Pro, Pro Star Sports in Denver, will join us live. Make sure you, uh, whether it's Ollie talking about the draft or Michael and I chopping it up or Paul, if you want to get into the show, you want to throw a question at us, hit us live. We do not, we do not give you any time on this show unless you're willing to tell us where you are from. All right. So let's get right at it. Got to talk about this, Mike, right off the top. Uh, it's been a incredibly controversial week and a controversial offseason surrounding Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson traded from the Texans to the Browns. Huge uh, get for the Texans in terms of draft capital. Three first round picks in the next three years, a third rounder and a fourth rounder. Um, you know, this is a this is one that's really, really a difficult one. You know, obviously uh, in the United States and, and hopefully in all the world, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty. There was not enough. And I, I guess the uh, police didn't believe there was enough evidence to bring him to trial on the allegations of sexual misconduct, over 20 allegations of sexual misconduct. However, he still has to face the NFL uh, disciplinary committee, and he still he is being being involved in civil suits with over 20 of those people. So it is unsure whether he's going to play. One of the things about the trade, and I think this is there's there's been some pushback on this thing on a lot of fronts, from the morality front, from uh, you know, from the owners. A number of other owners in the league are really upset about this contract because there's so much guaranteed money involved. It's not a fully guaranteed contract, but there are two reasons why they're why they're up in arms, Mike. And I think this is interesting. What's happening now is the NFL, you know, one of the reasons that they did not give guaranteed contracts is because it unevened the playing field between the haves and the have-nots or the people that were willing to spend and the willing the ones that weren't willing to spend. Because any, you know, any time a contract was guaranteed, it had to be put into escrow. There are a lot of, a lot of reasons, which Paul will get into. But now what's happening with these huge guaranteed quarterback contracts, it makes it tough on the teams that don't have that kind of financial wherewithal to just write those huge checks right out the gate. So I think this one's going to be – the NFL is going to have to take a look at how this is starting to unbalance the playing field. And then also you've got the issue, um, you know, for the Browns, that's a lot of first round capital to give up for a guy who has not played in over two years. Now, a lot of people think he's one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league right now. I have tendency to believe that he is. Um, but this is this is an interesting one. What's your take on it, Mike? First off, good evening, Jeff. It is great to see you. Uh, great to have you back on Twitter again. I was going to do the whole intro. You know, we, we ain't going nowhere, but I'll, I'll not do it. Great to have you back on social media again. Thanks to everyone for the support last week as well. Um, I, I think it's intriguing because there's so many elements. Um, he, like he, he will face a ban, surely, from the NFL. How many games is that going to be? The fully guaranteed deal is just, it's big, big money. And I know the cap's going up. 
but that's a lot of money and it just shows you what teams will do to get their quarterback in terms of the morality statement of or, or or the moral discussion about it i've seen arthur blank came out today at the owners meetings in palm beach and said or palm springs and said um that they met with him for an hour and 15 minutes and he left it at that i would just i think we're not going to hear um i don't think we're going to hear the full story for a long time in terms of well, the Browns here's here's a, here's another reason why some people are really disappointed in what the Browns did. Hmm. Basically, what they did by moving his money into guaranteed money, they sheltered him from losses that he may take. Let's say the NFL suspends him for ten games or whatever, you know, whatever. Then he would lose one tenth of his salary during that period of time. So what he's going to be paid now? I mean. Even though over 180 million of that is guaranteed, his contract for this coming year will only be his base will only be a little over a million dollars. So he would only stand to lose a per game percentage of that million dollars if he's suspended. So that really puts him at minimal financial risk, which when teams start to do these kind of things, they really usurp the NFL's disciplinary teeth, right? They take the teeth out of the – so you suspend him for six games. Hurts the team because he's not on the field, but the team protects him from any financial loss, which I don't think is the – you know, again, that's not, that's, that's not, I think, positive for the National Football League and positive for – him personally or for the browns that's another one of the reasons why this thing was so controversial but enough about deshaun watson let's get on uh talk about the nfl rule changes michael we are now going to have if it's in the playoffs and a game rank end of this game run ends in regulation time it's tied right we've got new playoff format for overtime both quarterbacks both teams will have a chance at possession of the football not in the regular season, but only in the postseason. What do you think? I love it because, first off, I think my team will be in the postseason. Secondly, look at the Bills-Chiefs game. That game was incredible. You almost felt for the Bills at the end of it, thinking they should have been able to possess the football again. I think it's the right time to, to bring it in. I was interested to see they're not going to bring it in during the regular season, but I guess when it really matters in the postseason, and look, it's ironic, and it's it's literally fate that this is going to happen in the first game of postseason. Well, I'd say two things. I felt it was going to happen because, you know, we've seen what how unfair it is in the postseason, right? Who's to say that the that the Bills wouldn't have gone down and scored again? But I do understand why they waited it for the postseason, not in the regular season, because they want to get the players off the field as fast as they can during the regular season because of the threat of injury. The mentality changes when you get to the playoffs. It's one and done football. It's a much different scenario. So I think it's a great move by the National Football League. I think it's positive for the league and positive for the game. The Ravens, if you're a Ravens fan, you've got John Harbaugh, three more years in Baltimore. Big news for Lamar Jackson. He should feel good. He should feel confident now going forward with his negotiations that the coach that really, really, you know, sold out for him, you know, drafted him in the first round, uh, you know, really designed his offense around the skill set that Lamar Jackson possesses. Now he's going to have that guy in his corner for three more years. So I would expect 
uh, if you're a Ravens fan, that's really good news. That's For the Saints, Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle returns. He's going to New Orleans. How about him getting guaranteed money? Times are changing, buddy. <laughs> He's going to be a backup, obviously, for Jameis Winston. The interesting part of that thing, though, is, Michael, it looks like Taysom Hill will now go specifically to tight end the, the you know, the Sean Payton uh, toy that he was where they played him all over the field. Uh, I think that's that's going to be good for Taysom Hill. He gets a chance to grow and become a I th- what I think will be a real good move tight end. He's a great athlete. And how about your Patriots? Jabril Peppers going to New England. If anybody can unlock Jabril Peppers, because now this is the third team for Jabril Peppers, right? So drafted by Cleveland, goes to the Giants. Um, He's going to the Patriots. He's never played to the level people thought he would be. And part of that is he's kind of a tweener. But if anybody can unlock his potential and anybody can find a scheme fit for him, it'll be Bill Belichick in that defense in New England. So I think it's a good move for the Patriots and a good move for Jabril Peppers. And more Patriot news, the old man, the boss, the guy who signs the checks, Mr. Kraft, says he's not pleased about not winning a playoff game in three years. So some Well, he should maybe sign some players there. I mean, the bar, bar, bar Peppers have done nothing the last month, and Belichick came out yesterday and said it here, talking about – players we've we, we got to talk about the draft i will say one thing before we bring ollie in um you're talking about the saints another backup from the saints but in chicago trevor simeon is the backup yep. in chicago as well nice so uh it's silly season jeff it's here we're a month out from the draft can you believe it well and i tell you what there's a lot that's going to come down right and, and we're going to talk about the draft in total but i'm going to tell you something don't be surprised if you don't see a lot of teams trading back to get more picks because of the fact the depth of this draft at certain positions. So you may not want a first rounder. You may want to say, okay, I'll take a high second round and give me another third or fourth because there's going to be a lot of really good football players later in the draft. And let's go to our draft expert, Coffee with the Coaches draft expert, and he is sartoriously splendiferous in his University of Hawaii throwback T-shirt back in the Rainbow Warrior Dick Tomey days. I love it. I love it. Ali, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good, Jeff. I thought it was only right to dig the Hawaii shirt out. You know, every week I get to speak to you with that splendiferous background that you have. I thought, well, do you know what? It's, it's about time I paid you some respect rather than just this terrible background. Let's put some color in with the with the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. Hey, we gotta talk to we gotta talk to Pro Football Network and get you a green screen or something back there, man. We gotta, we gotta... <laughs> hey. See what we can do. Let, before we before we talk about tackles, let's talk about the comment that I just made about teams trading back in this draft because of the fact that there's so much depth at so many positions. You know, you talk about obviously there's a ton of receivers, there's tight end depth, there's tackle depth, there's pass rusher depth. So if you don't have a guy that really, really impacts a need area that you have, I think it makes perfect sense to trade back and get more picks because you're going to get in the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds, I think, even this year, you're going to get access to some really good players. Yeah, I was talking about this earlier that um, all the way through into day three, and you mentioned round four, round five, you're going to be able to get instant impact, starting potential players 
for the NFL level in this 2022 NFL draft class. And we've already started to see it, the New York Jets and the New York Giants, who already own two first-round picks, are talking about trading down in the first round to try and get more later-round capital. And those two teams aren't short of capital either. When you look at a team like the Baltimore Ravens, you mentioned um, Harbour just then um, while you were talking with Mike, they're a team that have already got four fourth-round picks in this 2022 NFL draft. They're going to be a team that are going to be extremely well set up come the end of April, start of May, with the the capital that they've got in that sort of middle of the, the 2022 NFL draft. And I think when you look at the quarterback's arms race, you know, we've talked about Malik Willis several times on this show. Someone could potentially trade up to get Malik Willis to, to, to leapfrog the Carolina Panthers, to leapfrog the Seattle Seahawks. Pittsburgh Steelers are, are still in a situation where they need a quarterback. Atlanta, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that will ride on the the quarterback class. So there's, there's a lot of potential for trades. And I think you're right. I think before the draft and even on draft day itself, I think we'll see a lot of movement from where we are at the moment with the, the official running order of the 2022 NFL draft. You know, I think about the Lions, for example. Now, here's a team that has massive needs, right? massive needs any any of the teams that that are in that situation where they're rebuilding and they need they need players at every position if you took that second pick and let's say somebody covets somebody really highly and feels like they need to get to two to get that pick to get that guy trade back get more picks because you've got so many multiple needs and i know everybody's in love with aiden hutchinson and again we're getting off topic a little bit but it's the draft, so it's on topic. It's just not tackles. But man, oh man, oh man, I, I, I'm going to tell you something. If you if you have multiple needs, this is your draft because there's a lot of good players that'll that'll last deep into the draft. I think. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, with the Lions because they haven't put out a lot of noise about quarterbacks. You know, Dan Campbell coached Malik Willis at this at the uh, senior ball. So he's got first-hand exposure to Malik Willis. Well, normally if you're a team that is looking to garner a lot of interest in your pick because they think you might take that player, you'd make a hell of a lot of noise. The Lions would be going, oh, do you know what? We're going to take Malik Willis and, and force that that um, the value of that second overall pick up. But they're not making a lot of noise about it, which is intriguing, especially at this stage. You know, Michael referenced they were only a month out from the NFL draft. And the noise has been made by teams like the Jaguars and the, the talk about will they take Trayvon Walker instead of Aiden Hutchinson. And let me let me be clear, I'm not sold on Aiden Hutchinson as being the first overall pick in this draft. I think in a deep um, edge class, I you know he's not this runaway number one prospect that everyone not everyone but a lot of people are making Aiden Hutchinson out to be. So there's a lot that could happen. Ali, I'm I, I'm with you, man. I, I'm not sure he's the best edge player. Projected no, to the National Football League. I think there's some there's some holes in this game. But yeah, for sure. let's get to the big nasties, the guys that are going to make a lot of money. And when I went through the tackles, let me just tell you something, buddy. There are some mammoth human beings playing college football, tack, playing tackle in the college football. Because I counted in, in the guys that I – the pool that I looked at, I counted over a dozen that are taller than 6'5". And 6'5 used to be like, if you if you got a guy that was 6'5", that was wow. Now, 6'8", 6'7", 6'9". I mean, they're monstrous, mammoth people playing tackle in college football. 
and not just the size of him as well, the athletic ability that comes with that. You know, you used to be a time where a six six, six seven offensive tackle would be a lumbering player. You know, you think of some of the tight ends we've talked about it. You know, the, the bigger tight ends you think of being quite lumbering. But some of these guys are as, as athletic as it comes, you know. And that's the scary part, you know, you're looking at six foot seven, six foot eight, three hundred and forty pound guys who can move you know really move and not just in a straight line but laterally as well so a lot of exciting talent there it's it's phenomenal to me how how good athletes have gotten in the last 20 years it's incredible let's get at it let's get talking who you got at number five who's your guy who let's let's get going okay so number five my um, fifth ranked offensive tackle and 47th overall ranked prospect at this moment in time with less than a month to the nfl draft is minnesota offensive tackle daniel farlaley the australian kid I, i'm in love with this kid um in terms of we talk about size six foot eight and an eighth of an inch 387 pounds look at him look at that guy 387 pounds and he has been bigger than that unbelievably when he landed on these shores from australia um i say these shores obviously american shores he um he, he's weighed in at times at over 400 pounds you talk about a mammoth of the guy, and that's what Daniel Falele is. 35, nearly 35 and a half inch arms, 11 inch hands. He is the epitome of an immovable object. You can't run through this kid. You can't, he's like a mountain. You can't simply run around him either. Um, the length allows him to manipulate his opponent. You watch him when he gets his arms locked out. There is literally nothing that any edge rusher in this class can do to get into his chest plate. Those arms, 30, like I say, 35 and 3 eighth inch arms incredible strong impressive anchor powerful vicious punch you know i I watched him on tape single-handedly knock a guy to the ground with that powerful impactful punch which is exactly what you want to see for your offensive tackle we talked about athletic ability um he's not the most athletic offensive tackle in this class at that size he's never going to be but he's got decent um athleticism you watch minnesota line him up at the fullback position and run him in for a touchdown He's a battering ram in that respect. Um, there's issues with Daniel Falele. Um, I know you're you were certainly surprised when I sent these uh, my, my top five offensive tackles over to see where Daniel Falele was because a lot of this ranking is projected upon what Daniel Falele can be rather than what he is right now because he is in ex- he is inexperienced. He turned up at high school in uh, in the states having never played a down of football had never seen a game of football and um, but he caught the eyes of some um some college scouts over in and, and high school scouts over in australia at a satellite camp so he is inexperienced for a guy of his size he is unbalanced at times because he is you know he's, there's a lot of weight that he's got to be able to control so often he lunges he leans doesn't bend at the um, bend at the knees. He bends at the waist, just as a pure byproduct of his size, and that causes issues in terms of his balance. Pad level is always going to be an issue with a kid that is six foot eight, over six foot eight tall. Um, but I think there's things that um, are coachable. There are issues that are coachable with Daniel Falele's game when you get him into an NFL program, and I think that's the exciting uh, thing with this kid is he's a decent offensive tackle at the college level. He's got the potential if coached correctly, to be an absolute stud at the NFL level at the right tackle position. And there's not a lot of natural right tackles in this class. 
Um, there's a lot of offensive tackle talent, but there's not a lot of guys at the right tackle position who are a natural right tackle. And I think that, again, that's something that's exciting to, to consider with Daniel Falele. Well, you know, we talk about fit, why fit's so important. And if you are in a power running scheme, I'm thinking of, you know, we're talking about the Ravens here a little bit earlier. You, you got to look at this guy and go, we got to get, we got to get this guy because he is a dominant, dominant player in the run game. I agree with you. I, I'm not, I'm not big on some of the movement skills. I don't like waist benders. Um, but again, you don't see guys six, eight, and I don't know what he weighs. I mean, he weighs the whole building. I mean, he is huge. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I'll tell you, I, he, I like him for another reason. That name, Falele, that's a, that's a Samoan name. And so he's got, he's got Polynesian roots. And we all know that there have been some tremendous Polynesian players that have played in the National Football League, Jesse Sapolo being one. And uh, I, I really, really am rooting for this kid because he, he does have a trem- – there's a couple of these guys in that tackle class that have some interesting stories and, and uh, interesting histories on their way to the National Football League draft. So who you got it for? So at number four, I've got Northern Iowa's Trevor Penning. Now we've seen him pre- in last year's class, uh, Northern Iowa, small school, FTS school. Uh, I shouldn't call him a small school. I've been got in trouble directly from schools before because they go, well, do you know what? We've got thousands of, of, of students. They're a smaller school in football in terms. Um, but they've got a, um, already developing a, a reputation for producing athletic freaks. There's no other way of putting it. Athletic freaks, strong guys, offensive tackles. You look at um, Spencer Brown, who was uh, drafted by the Bills last year. Trevor Penning's better. Um, for a lot of people, I've, I know there's NFL scouts who value Trevor Penning more than the kids that are in front of him that we're going to talk about shortly without giving any get- names away. But Penning, you know, similar to Falele, big guy, six foot seven, just over six foot seven, three hundred and twenty-five pounds. He's got that requisite arm length that we talk about. Look at those big long levers, thirty-four and a quarter inch arms, ten, just over ten inch hands. So he's the NFL size that you talk about right there with Trevor Penning. Impressive athlete, explosive, good lateral mobility. Um, I think one of the key things with with Trevor Penning is he's powerful. Great grip strength. Once he gets hold, you are not escaping this kid. And we saw it at the Senior Bowl. He is a bully. There is not a player in this class who plays the game with more ferocity, nastiness, savagery, whichever you want, however you want to call it. That's what Trevor Penning plays the game with. Now, the issue here is where do you draw the borderline between what is and isn't acceptable? Because we saw some stuff at the Senior Bowl out of Trevor Penning, which was blurring the lines between what you should and shouldn't do on a football field, including him, I don't want to say smashing Ohio State defensive end Tyreek Smith's head into the turf, but hell, that's what it looked like. Um, so there's, there's some issues there in terms of will his play style result in excessive penalties at the NFL level. Again, tall guy, high pad level, that's an issue that he needs to, to rectify before he become a... Um, a true starting left tackle in the NFL. And on his college tape, playing at the level that he did, you kind of almost feel like there was a a feeling that he knew he was better than the opposition that were around him. And you question sometimes some of the motor that he played the game with at the college level. Now, obviously, when he gets up to the NFL, he's he, he'll know he'll know he's got to play consistently. 
with a hot motor every single play. Um, but, you know, as you're looking at college tape and, uh, and assessing players, evaluating players on that college tape, it's certainly something that, that stands out uh, when you're watching Trevor Penny. I, I agree with you. I, I thought he had a tendency against low-level competition, which he played some of because he's an FCS player, that uh, he would play with guys rather than finish guys. And then other times he'd just destroy people. And I, I, I think what we saw at the Senior Bowl was what he was coached to do by his people because he, he needed to go in there and show that he belonged and he was tough enough and he wasn't going to back down. And, and, I, and he took it to another level. You're exactly right. Yeah. Sometimes his aggressiveness, I think, gets him into trouble. But I'd rather have one that you got to pull back than one you got to kick in the pants to go. So, uh, you know, I, I, I like that kid a lot. Now, these next three, I think, can all be first rounders, I think. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. And and I think like I said then about Trevor Penning, there is very much the um the feeling that he's a first rounder as well. A lot of teams um talking about him not getting out of the top ten picks. So you there you're looking at four guys. I think these next two guys are interchangeable, really, in terms of, of where they um fit in this whole um two thousand twenty two NFL draft class. So my offensive tackle three currently, Charles Cross. He's my eighth overall ranked prospect. Um, very different look to Charles Cross than you've seen from Daniel Falele and Trevor Penning. A little bit shorter, six foot three and three quarters. So he's not short by any stretch of the imagination, but he's shorter than those two behemoths. Also noticeably sl- more slender than the the two guys before him. So Falele three eighty seven pounds, Penning three twenty five pounds. Charles Cross, 307 pounds. So he's a little bit more of a slender offensive tackle than the other two guys. But again, 34 and a half inch arms, 10 and three quarter inch hands. So the size requisites are there for the NFL level. What you get with Charles Cross is a superb athlete. That slenderness allows him to be um, incredibly athletic, both in terms of getting out to the second level in the run game, which admittedly not been asked to do a lot of. Mississippi State in uh, Mike Leach's very predominant passing offense. Um, but when he does get out in the run game, he can get out to the next level superbly well. He's explosive out of his stance. He glides into his pass sets as well. He's got the reactive lateral athleticism to counter and uh, to combat any counter moves as well. Some of the issues with, with some of the other guys that we see in this class is their susceptibility to speedier pass rushes. But for a guy like Charles Crass, he's got that reactive athleticism to be able to to pick up those counters. Um, he's intelligent, so he's constantly in communication with the rest of his offensive line, which we know is such a key component of offensive line success, is that communication and the cohesiveness as an offensive line. Um, picks up stunts, picks up twists, you name it. Charles Cross can pick it up. Um, and I think through this season, he's really improved his game as well. He's really improved in terms of his hand placement, um, he's got a potent punch, but he was prone to, to mistiming and misplacing of his hands. I think he's cleaned that up in his game this year. Um, and don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by the slender nature of this kid. He's as savage and as um, destructive as, as any of the other guys in this cl- in this class. Bonus points for playing in the SEC because he's playing against the best pass rushers, the best defensive linemen in America week in and week out. I agree with that's a great evaluation. Now let's go to the ACC for the next guy. Let's go to the most feared offensive lineman in the ACC. That's what he was dubbed as the start of uh, at the start of this year. Ikem 
Icky Aquonu out of NC State. He's my second overall ranked offensive tackle and my seventh overall prospect. A kid who played both guard and tackle last season, uh, 2020 season for NC State, earns um, all ACC honors at both positions. That tells you everything you need to know about the versatility that this kid brings to the offensive line. Off the field, smiling, bespectacled demeanour. Easy for me to say at gone 10 o'clock on a, on a Tuesday night. Um, but that hides an absolute savage beast. There's no other way of putting it. You want to see an example of competitive toughness and physicality, stick on Arkham Aquino, watch him go to work, not just in pass protection, not just at the first level at the point of attack, Watch him going downfield and levelling guys at the second level, the third level. I think Miami safety Bubba Bolden has still got Ike McQuarrie's handprint all over his face from an encounter they had, not this season, the season before. Um, Mauler, high school, we talked about Tyler Linderbaum last week, high school wrestling experience. So he's got that wrestling experience. He knows how to win the leverage battle. Um, I think for me, he came into this season as um, the best, potentially one of the best guards in the class. I looked at his pass protection last year when he was out on an island at left tackle for NC State. I wasn't completely sold on his ability to play left tackle at the next level, but he has kicked it up a gear this year um, in terms of his pass protection. There's still some room for development. Um, there's still some things you kind of look at and think he could clean, you know, clean up his handwork sometimes, clean up his timing. Um, but overall, I think you're looking at a kid who's got the potential to some people are talking about him being a first overall pick i think that's a little rich for me but he's if he escapes out of the top five top ten i'm looking at the new york giants as a as a spot for ike mcquonu um the new york jets depending on what they do with mekai bankton going forward that's a landing spot there there's there's plenty of teams that need offensive tackle help within that top ten uh, Carolina Panthers, for example, all will depend on the quarterback situation. But if if Ike McQuarrie escapes the top ten, I think something's gone terribly wrong. Well, I, I agree. You know, and the, and the thing that to me is when you look at him, I love the energy that he play as a big man that he plays with. I I love the way he plays hard. He plays like a wrestler to me. Yeah. You know, and and uh, has a little bit of the same stuff that Penny has without maybe some of the over-the-top issues, you know? So I, like, I love that. Now, hey, here we go one more time. Where do we got to go to find the best tackle in America, the best tackle in the draft? Well, we might as well just go to Tuscaloosa because they always got one. They certainly have. Evan Neal is my top-ranked offensive tackle. He's my third overall prospect in the 2022 NFL draft class. And I think if the Jacksonville Jaguars have got anything solid and sound about them, which we know that they haven't, so this probably won't happen, they'll be sticking all their eggs in Evan Neal's basket as far as I'm concerned. Athletic offensive tackle at six foot seven and a half, three 337 pounds. Again, 34-inch arms, 10 and 8-inch hands. So the requisites are all there. His footwork is incredible. And it allows him to play effortlessly out on the island. He's, as I said, explosive out of his stance. He is um, plays unlike some of the other guys in this class at his size. He plays with excellent pad level, um, both in the run game and as a pass protector. Powerful, violent hands. He has got um, all the versatility in the world that you need. So he's played guard 
for Alabama. He's played right tackle for Alabama. He's played left tackle for Alabama. And he's played all three of those to an elite level in the SEC, like you mentioned, going up against the best week in, week out, but also going up against the best in his own training room, you know, on day-to-day practice field, going up against guys like Will Anderson, who will be the one of the top players in next year's NFL draft class. If I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, I take Evan Neal at one. I plug him in at right tackle this year while Cam Robinson plays out his one-year franchise tag deal and then I move him over to left tackle next year. And that's Trevor Lawrence sorted. You know, they invested in free agency on the interior offensive line. They also used the, the pick on Walker Little last year, who I, I wasn't so high on. I think you plug in Evan Neal at right tackle in 2022. You switch him over to left tackle next year and you've got the, the basis of protecting the quarterback that you invested and want to build this franchise around. You know, when I, when I watched him play against Florida, and Florida's got players. Now, I'm just telling you, they got athletes, especially edge guys, right? Yeah. And I, I can't remember watching University of Florida players on defense just stop, just like almost give up because it was hopeless. No matter what, you, you couldn't beat him around the edge, couldn't bully him for certain, couldn't bully him, and try, try and, you know, go speed to power, try and counter back underneath. Anyway, any any attack he had he handled and almost looked like it was too easy, right? Never crossed his feet. I mean, his footwork is amazing for a guy as big as he is. Six, seven and a half. I mean, that's we're talking about guys that are playing power forward in the NBA, you know. I mean, these are amazing people. Ollie, you're my number one draft analyst, and that's why we got you here on Coffee with a Coach. Where if we if, if people are watching the show and and this, they're catch, catching you for the first time, where can they get more of Ali Hodgkinson? Okay, so you can find me on Twitter at OJ Hodgkinson. You can find all the written work, podcasts, everything that we I do for Pro Football Network at www.profootballnetwork.com, and there you'll find our 2022 NFL draft guide as well. Which is with less than a month to go, you need to to get that purchased. Hey, well, listen, what do we got next week? Where are you going next week? Where are we, what are you going to bring to us? Well, me and Michael were talking about this, right? So we've got less than four weeks to the NFL draft, and I think we've still got six position groups still to go. So how about next week we spend maybe a little bit longer, but we do the top five cornerbacks and top five safeties in one we're segment. We're on the dark side, show. baby. We're talking DBs we still got, next we, week. We, we still got wide receivers to do as well. Uh, but yeah, but you go. know what? I want to save that for later because that's a tasty, tasty group. And and I think oh, sure there's is. going to be a lot of those guys go really fast. So we'll hit the wide receivers. We'll, we'll go out of out of sorts and hit the wide receivers and some of that skill, offensive skill late. So top Appreciate five you, my man. We will see you next week. See you later. Thank you, Jeff. See you, Michael. Yeah. Cheers, Ollie. All the best, man. That was awesome. Thanks so much to Oliver and obviously hey, Pro Football yeah. Network. Check it out. He really does a good job. He really, really does a good job. And, and I, lo- I love his enthusiasm for the draft, man. Because I think like, we like over here, we really need that like to develop and develop. So it's it's fantastic. Well, that's um, I tell you what, that's the lifeblood of your football team. You got to you know again, draft it, sign it, get it in free agency, trade for it, however you get it. But your best way to get a lot of them, if you're a team that needs a lot of players, is the draft. And you know, seven players minimum in every class. So. For most teams, anyway. Your next guest is here. 
he put some questions in the chat as well jeff so you, you can use them as well if you want but uh, okay if I'll, if you I'll, would I'll like to get a question to us or if you would like to get a question to uh to super agent paul sheehy about anything that paul does and and uh particularly about his role in free agency with his clients um be more than happy to answer paul's a great guy one of the most highly intelligent guys uh, in the football business, a guy with a great track record, a great, um, not just a track record, but a, but a great reputation amongst football people. And uh, he is from ProStar Agency in Denver, Colorado. I'd like to welcome to the show, Paul Sheehy. Come on in, Paul. Do we have him? There he is. Where, where'd he go? This is the joys of live broadcasting. I'm just going to say to Paul, I'm going to type here now as well. Paul, if you want to just refresh your browser, try your cell phone. I'll bring you in immediately. I don't know what's happening. So apologies, Paul. That's, if you want that's to just refresh. Live, that's live TV, baby. That's why we do it this way. Yes. Yeah, so just when I type, Jeff, uh, hearing rumors, you're talking about Colorado, hearing rumors, the Jaguars playing the Broncos and mumbling. You hearing this? Am I, There's some talk that? about that. Yep. So I know you're you're I tell you what you are putting it you're floating every rumor about the Broncos you can to uh, well, here the team the, literally came out and said yesterday get the blue and orange to the to Europe they so literally so came out and said they've asked the NFL today. I'm just literally saying <laughs> what they said can you imagine I literally choked at my coffee when I seen that and um, I'm sure it's fine if we can't get Paul's video I'm sure audio will be fine Paul can you hear us okay no have we lost him ah man. Lost him. See if it works. I'll put a wee comment in here now just so we're chatting. Who's your dream London game, Jeff? You got the you got the Packers and the Saints. Here's Paul here now. Let's see if it works. Paul. No dice. Who's my dream London game? I, I I'd take any of them. I'd take any of them. But I would like to see a game at, at Tottenham because I have not seen a game yet at Tottenham. I heard the sight lines and the stadium are absolutely brilliant. So um it's it's uh Anytime you get a chance to see an NFL game, and particularly when you get a chance to see an NFL game outside of the United States, it's a huge, huge deal. Those are still, I, I say this all the time, but those are the best environments for regular season games in, you know, in the world. Because next to a Super Bowl, you get fans from all over, from every team at those games. And it's really in a unique, unique environment. And I hope to be a part of it again soon. Hopefully we get um, Saints-Bengals and hopefully we get Jaguars-Broncos and Packers against somebody big. Here's Paul. Hey, guys. Paul. There's my man. How are you doing, Coach? Good. I've got it on my phone, so sorry about that. Hey, so no, that's... I've got one. I'm just glad we worked with you. So All right. I'm with Mr. Styling and Profiling over there, so I brought these. Ah, hey, hey, just... hey. All right, now we're working. I got my Maui gyms on so I could vicariously be in Hawaii with you. After just leaving Laramie, Wyoming, where it was like 46 or their pro day. And now I'm in uh, freezing cold uh, okay. you know, Fort I, Collins. Then I got to ask you a question. All right. Shoot. First of all, how long were you in Laramie? Overnight, as quickly as possible. Did you? <laughs> Spoken no, like a true Colorado. People are very nice. Did you, yes. did, you, did you happen to get to the Buckhorn Bar? Dude, I got in, I went to my hotel, I had a steak in the hotel, went to sleep, woke up, went to pro day. I'll tell you what, and next I'm, time, and now I'm in, next now I'm time in. you've got to go to the Buckhorn Bar. You promised That's me that you will go, all right? That's hey, a deal. 
Is that linebacker at Wyoming? Is he that good? Oh, Muma, he's really good. He's, I think, he's a second day pick, is what I see. Like where, where that goes, it goes. But I think he's probably a second day pick. He looked really good. He did what he did is he tried to improve on his uh, his three cone today. So yeah. he did the three cone only, and uh, he might have done one other drill, and then he did all position drills, and he looked really good, really smooth, really good. I have so. heard a lot of good things about that kid that. That he might might yeah. even be able to be a three down linebacker in the National Football League, and I, you know, there aren't a lot of those. Wouldn't kind shock of guys. me. Yeah, wouldn't shock me. Really? Yeah. Hey, before we get going with free agency and and all, talking about all that stuff, I need you. You've been on the show before, and you told the story of the first client you represented and your first. Oh, you tell that story because <laughs> that's an all timer, Paul. Well, it was actually un the unofficial one you're talking. I was a junior in college, <laughs> so my roommate at, in college at the time, Eddie Meacham, was a uh, was an All American tight end, and we were teammates. And uh, we thought he was going to get drafted, but he didn't. And we get a call at our apartment from the Patriots the next day. Hey, can you come on up to Foxborough? We went to college in Massachusetts at Springfield College, and they go, Hey, can you come up to Foxborough uh, for a workout? And if it goes well, we want to sign you. So Eddie didn't have a car. So he goes, hey, Paul, can I can I borrow your car? And I said, oh, heck no. I said, I'm going with you. And my plan was I was going to go work the equipment guy to get a couple pairs of turf shoes because there was a big thing back then, right? And they were expensive as heck. So I drove him up there. And uh, sure enough, he went and did his workout. And he had, you know, Mick Kerrigan was throwing him the ball. And I think Tony Easton was there throwing him. And I'm in the equipment room, you know, talking to the equipment guy. Ended up with two pairs of turf shoes under my arm, and so we're waiting. We're waiting for the uh, the GM at the time, um, and we're waiting right outside of his office. Uh, and they call him in, so I just tag along, and I just sit down right next to him. And he's like, "Well, Eddie, I don't know what to tell you. We can't get a hold of your agent, so you know we might just put this thing on hold." And Ed just sits there and is like, "What am I doing?" I said, "Hey, what are you what are you looking to do?" And the guy goes. Wait, Three wait, years, wait 60, 60, 80, wait and 100,000. Yeah, just like Wait that. a second. Yeah. Come on, Bill McPeak. stop. Bill McPeak, swear. What are you looking to do? 60, 80, and 100. And so Ed's ready to jump out of his chair, and I go, what about a little something up front? And he goes, stands up, puts a $100 bill on the table, and we look at each other, done. And so we we went, we, we filled my car up with gas, and we had an all-you-can-eat seafood buffet down the street from then Sullivan Stadium, and we were living large. Like it was, it was all in. Like that was, oh, that that was the is, greatest day. That is beautiful. We we can't yeah. get a hold of your agent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His agent represented a lot of hockey players, and so I'll never forget the. the uh, and by the way, Bill McPeak's secretary at the time is still in New England. She is absolutely, without question, one of my favorite people in the NFL, Nancy Meyer. She is she is the person, if you've ever read the book, The Invisibles, that's yep. her. Like, she runs that show. Contrary to everybody's belief, she is amazing with everything she does. But she was there back in the day. And so, uh, yeah, so that was it. He represented a lot of hockey players. And I'll never forget, they said, well, you know, he's dealing with the Poppin brothers right now on something big. And we're like... Okay, well, we're sitting here in the Patriots GM's office. So, hey, wait a second now. What's bigger than two pair of turf shoes, a hundred bucks, and and a, and a full buffet? tank of gas? Huh? Yeah, 
I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And that's when I realized, right, like all my life, my goal was I'm going to play in the NFL, right? And it suddenly hit me when I'm in college. Hey, by the way, there really are no five nine centers out of D2 schools in the NFL. So <laughs> I better think of a plan B fast. And so that became the plan B, like from the start. And now, uh, that was just very fortuitous that it happened with, with Eddie that time. It was really good. Now, when you're negotiating all these million dollar deals, million dollar guarantees, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't even want to ask you what the biggest one you've ever done is. But do you ever shake your head and go, two pairs of turf shoes, 100 bucks, we're done? Yeah, all the time. Like all the time. I, I trust me, I know who I am. I know where I came from, right? And it, it is. And, and I remember, you know, early in the day, uh, the first guy I ever asked for a million dollars for, like it took a lot of planning and it took, like I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to, with a straight face, ask this team for a million dollars. And and it was Lewis Riddick back in the day. And yep. um, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. And then he earned it. And he didn't get it in that deal, but that was the first one I ever asked for a million dollars as a, as a, as a single number, you know, not, not like a total package. So no, I trust me. I, I, I see the big picture. I know where I, I know where I am. I know I'm from. I, I know this is uh, I'm blessed to be doing this for 34 years. And uh, I, I love every minute of it, to be honest with you. You know, and the highs are very high. The lows are very low, but the, the, the middle is, uh, is just, it's an amazing thing to be a part of. As a guy who's done it for 34 years, does the money that's in it now, when you look at some of the contracts, you look at what, say, for example, the Browns did with Deshaun Watson, not only to give him that huge guarantee, but basically shelter him from, you know, losing yep. money. With from year league. one. Yeah. I, does it, does, can it stop? Is there any, is there an end game, an end of it all that where it's just so much, oh, you can't do it anymore? God, I hope not. I hope not. Well, like, what are your what's your option though, right? Would you rather see? And this has always been my my argument from from forever. Uh, would you rather see the money divided between thirty two billionaire owners or sixteen hundred, you know, players who are the show that everybody goes to see and puts literally their life on the line every game, their health on the line at a minimum. You know, the NFL is a hundred percent injury risk profession, so uh, I don't begrudge these guys one penny. And it is 100% my job to maximize that income while we have the opportunity. And so, no, I mean, as long as, as long as those revenues keep growing, that money should be shared with the players, you know, and, and with the, with the current CBA, you know, everyone slammed the CBA because the players got a smaller share than they had before, but they got a smaller share of a much larger pie. So the, the raw dollars are, are exponentially higher. And now we're going to be at 49.5%. No one knew for certain if we were going to get there from 48, but now we included what they call the media kicker in the deal, which is if the TV revenues went up a certain percentage, then the, then the, then the player share went up. We already got it. So, like, yeah, the owners still have a majority share, but the player share went up way more because it's a, it's a smaller share, but of a much larger pie. There's no more carve-outs. There's no more this is outside the cap. This is outside. Keep this revenue on your own. It's It's – Everything goes in the pot, and we share it equally, fairly equally. 49.550, you know, 55. Paul, how much of that has contributed or gone hand in glove with the player empowerment that you see today that you never saw before? Where, where 
even non-star players can force their hand, force clubs hand to trade them or move them or whatever. And, and players have more power in my opinion than they've ever had. Yeah. And, and I'll take it one step further. How about the power to determine when your career is over financially now, because you don't have to go back and play that other year. You don't have to go back and put your body at risk for yet another year. Right. Allie Marpet, just retired from Tampa Bay uh, out of a, out of a D3 program. And he said, he goes, you know, I've been in the league. seven. I think it's seven years. I've been in the league seven years. I'm good. I want to be able to run and play with my kids financially. He's able to make that decision. So that type of empowerment to me is, is the bigger name of the game. Right? So I think the ability to say, I'm calling it a career on my terms is what the additional money in the league has really helped with. And yeah, it's done the other things as well, right? It's empowered them to do things like certainly the, the CBA, you, you can't hold out any longer. Like there's no such thing as a holdout because you, the, the fines and penalties are, are too, too great. However, what we've now seen is there's a hold in where players mm -hmm. report and just don't play. So they avoid that whole thing. So withholding services is always 100% of the time, the biggest leverage that you have. And when you know you've got you know a pool of income behind you to support that in case you know the worst case scenario comes together, then sure you're you're going to be able to hold that position longer and stronger. Right. Now, for you guys, um, you know your agency certainly has high profile active players. You've got a number of high profile coaches, and you're involved with kids that are in this draft class. So this is a really interesting time of the year for you because you're still working some free agency deals and you're waiting to, you know, strike while the iron's hot with the, you know, with the, who's left in free agency, the drafts coming and so on and so forth. What's your, yeah. what's your typical day like now? Yeah. So again, every day is different. And so this period of time from basically the new year through right around now, this week, next week, when pro days are coming to a close, it's like this harmonic convergence of coaches uh, hiring cycle and the end of recruiting, which is kind of a perpetual thing. Anyway, recruiting is just 24, seven, 365. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got pre pro days and then pre draft stuff and then draft stuff and then post draft stuff in the middle of that is free agency. And so like everything kind of comes together. And I think, you know, experience is the best thing that gets you through that because we know how to compartmentalize that. And really time management is huge, but it's also the most exciting time of the year. Like it's, it's awesome. It's all these things that, that we are in this business to do. We get to do them all at once during this time of year. Right? So it's pretty, it's pretty cool. One of your clients who is a guy that I know extremely well has actually been on the show and uh, love the kid because he, to me is the, one of the guys that should be making money. Uh, he's, Plays at Montana State, not drafted, spends a little time on the Seahawks practice roster. They let him go, comes up to Canada, plays, I don't know, three or four years in Canada, has a great career in Canada, goes to the Eagles as a free agent. You guys get him to the Eagles. And the last two years he's been in Philadelphia, leads the team, over 200 tackles, highest rated linebacker on, on production. His production grade was amazing. When I saw that you know, Darius Leonard, I don't care who you named, he, he – he, yeah. Alex. Number one in the NFL in, in tackle and in, in productivity, his overall productivity, meaning he was in on a tackle on 19.1% of the plays that he that he played. And he only played in 64% of the snaps 
over the last two years, which is phenomenal. And when you talk about, you know, other guys that have played, you know, 90, 97, those kind of ranges, his production is right there with them. So his, his single per play production is off the charts. It's the best of any backer in the league. Well, and, and I, you know, when we did inside the huddle last week, I, I, I said that to Neil, I said, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Here's, I think, one of the really cagey signings of the entire free agency period. Alex Singleton going to the Broncos is a huge one to me because it fits a need for the Broncos. The kid will be a dynamic kid in that defense. He'll be outstanding in the community. He'll be everything that the Broncos want. And, you know, he's back playing, you know, Montana State kid. Come on now. You can't. It's such a great fit. Yeah, so his his free agency period was very interesting. So we might not have gotten, you know, the big splash free agent dollars for him because what, what happens with the restricted free agency guys is teams, obviously, they get to tender them and they get to retain their rights and they get to match a deal. And Philly decided we had tried to get a deal done and we just couldn't. And... Uh, outside of the tender. They didn't want to tender him. So by the time we knew that they were not going to tender him, it's very late in the game. And so teams don't prepare for those RFAs. Like the RFA market is is a myth. There is no market. If you're a tendered RFA guy, restricted free agent guy, um, the chances of you getting an opportunity to sign an offer sheet is so remote. I'll give you the numbers. Since 2008, you ready? Since 2008, 26 players have gotten offer sheets as restricted free agents, 26, including this year, Ryan Bates from, from Buffalo, who got an offer sheet from Chicago. Of those, 20, of those guys, 11 were matched by their old teams and 15 moved. So there really is no market for that guy. So that's, that's number one. Number two, when you're not tendered as that, you hit the market very late because they literally have until 4 p.m., until the minute before free agency starts to decide whether to tender you or not. So we found out very late that they were not going to tender them. So a non-tendered RFA automatically has a depressed market to begin with financially. That Some of the teams, one team I talked to said, said, wow, are you sure? Are you, you, you sure he's not going to be tendered? And I said, yeah, I just got confirmation. They said, wow, because we just graded 26 linebackers and he wasn't in our group because we thought no way in the world he's going to be available. So we didn't even do any homework on the guy yet. So what we look at is, okay, the, the, the market, and not to mention in his particular case, this was a really interesting period. The whole ILB uh, market was, was saturated. Like there's still great linebackers, great inside guys who are on the market, like Bobby Wagner, right? And there's, there's a bunch of those guys. So we said, all right, our best bet is to, Go somewhere where you're going to be comfortable, you're going to have a big role, and you're going to have the biggest opportunity to make an impact. And then we know as an entering UFA, the whole game changes, or we're with a team that we trust will value the position so we get an extension done. And so looking through literally dissecting 32 teams, Denver was the number one team that we wanted to be in if we could get to that, to that spot where we had a deal. So it worked out, and, and, and you know, I don't think I'm speaking out of school, and he wouldn't mind me saying, like, he turned down two other offers that were higher financially, looking more big picture to get in the right environment, the right place, the right role, and where he wanted to be. 
looking forward, I think it's going to be a great move that that he made. See, now this is this is something that I think is really important. And you know, I'm not I'm not blowing sunshine up your tailpipe when I say this. When you guys deal with with somebody, there are more factors than just pure dollars and cents that you weigh into this thing. And I that's one of the reasons why I think Alex is such a great fit there because he's going to be productive. We know yeah. he's going to be productive. He's, he fits in the scheme. There's a lot of things to really like about it. And so he played in that scheme last year. Like exactly that, what a jury is bringing in from LA to Denver is essentially the same defense that he just ran in Philly. And that was a big consideration, right? He knows the role. He knows exactly what he's going to be asked to do. And I think that's huge. I think you're stepping into something where there's a degree of familiarity already. The comfort level alone allows you to perform at a higher level. Right. And it's not, you know, it's the next deal. It's always the next deal. The next deal. Yes. Yes. So 100%. Tell me when you get into this free agency thing and you've got an older player, right, who's been an established player. Because as I understand contracts, and, and again, I don't pretend to know, but really you're always paying for what the guy did, not what he does now, right? So when you've got an older guy, Paul, how do you approach it with a club, even though your player may be in, a de- in that descending? Yeah, it, it, it's tricky, and I think every team handles that differently. You know, we've, we've heard it before from teams, I don't want to buy high, right? I, I, don't want, I don't want to buy on a guy's career year. And then you just need to know the market and you need to know whether, well, somebody else is going to, and I know who, like, if you don't have that, uh, there, there's a, there's a, there's a negotiating term called BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Right. And if, if you don't know what your BATNA is, what your best alternative is, then you're sunk. You always need to know what, if I don't get this deal done, is it better not to get it done and do deal B here? Or is it better to just do DLA, even though it's not what I want? So you need to know those things. And so you need to say, well, you may feel like you're buying high and you don't want to get in this game at this financial level, but I know another team and you don't even have to say it. Like you could just say, well, thank you for your time. I'm going elsewhere. And you know, another team is going to, you know, get you to the level you need to be at. It, it really comes to knowing the market and communicating with teams and, you know, really trying to be as open and transparent as you can on both sides. You know, so it's tricky. It's tricky. And so, you... so we have we have a situation now. I'll tell you right. So we have a situation now. Um, we, well, we had it with Cam Wake. They, they, you know, when you go up to Canada, the good and the bad. You go up to Canada, and Alex is the same guy, right? Alex went up there for a couple of years. So Cam, when Cam came down, he was a couple of years older already because he was out of football for a year, and then he goes up to Canada for two, so he comes down. By the time he hit his 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 stride free agency, you know, the big thing teams wanted to jump on with the only negative they could possibly come up with is, well, he's, he's older and da, da, da. So you, you just need to know how you deal with that. And again, for me, you got to know that there's another team out there that you can get what you're looking for one way or another, whether it's average per year, whether it's, for me, it's always guaranteed. I'll always give up the average per year number. I'll give that up to get more guarantees, like always. So it's whether you you negotiate better guarantees, maybe on a shorter deal, better guarantees, you know, uh, in a lower APY, that kind of thing. We're dealing with it now with a really good and specialists are a little different, but we've got one of the top punters 
you know, of, of all time, 17 year veteran in Dustin Colquitt, you know, um, we just did Donnie Hecker's deal in Carolina, which was a phenomenal deal. Again, guaranteed dollars drove the day on that. We had a, right. a bunch of teams interested and, um, and we had like really good. There were, there were two teams, almost identical numbers. Um, but with Dustin now he's a 17 year vet and, you know, teams are like, well, I don't know if I want to extend long on this now, but we know, Hey, we're just, let's just sit tight. We don't need to be somewhere in March. I don't need you to be in an off-season workout program with a new team in March. Let's just sit tight because when, when teams think that they have a need filled or they think they're going to fill a need and it doesn't happen, it happens all the time, this, this scenario, they're going to be looking for, okay, now we need that safe veteran. We know what we're going to get. Right. And you'll be the first guy to be signed in a really good place where you walk in and it's your job. So that's kind of what we're, what we're looking at with that kind of situation. And I and I, we obviously there's some things we're sensitive. You can't use names and, and that. But do you do you feel that there's panic buying out there sometimes in free agency where they go they need there's a need it's an established need, and you know the media drives the perception of the general fan and the general fan says oh we've got to have a guy at that position right. they they miss on a guy and now oh shit we got to go get we got to go get somebody. So first, I, I hate playing scout, and I, I think, and, and a lot of agents do. And I, you know, if it works for them, it works for them. But I, I'd rather talk to scouts. Let them, let them do their thing. I hate playing scout. So when I look at and evaluate guys, unless I'm doing a head-to-head comparison for my particular negotiation, like I don't say this. But one thing that comes to mind when you say that is Christian Kirk's deal. Like they, Jacksonville needed a receiver. Everybody knows that, uh, and they went out. Day one, they played. A, they paid a guy with 17 career touchdowns, and really a number two receiver. They paid him 37 million guaranteed, 18 million a year on an average, and I think that opened a lot of eyes. and And I'm not saying that it was good or bad. Like it, time will tell. You know, when I'll never forget that the old general manager for the 49ers years ago. I called him. Hey, Neil. Neil Dolan was a great person. I said, Hey, congratulations, great draft. He goes, Great draft. He says, call me in three years and tell me that. And then we got something. And I think that's kind of what free agency is like too, right? So there's hits, there misses. Um, but I think when you see those things, you know, the, the drastic jumps in compensation for guys, drastic. Um, and the expectation of more production than you what you've got. I think some people interpret that as desperation. Some people interpret that as great scouting and foresight. So... I, time will tell. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, you know what? It's funny. I never that's begrudge guy, a team that spends money. Paul, right? That's I mean, the never, guy I was thinking about. That is exact. That's Christian exactly Kirk, the yeah. contract I was thinking about because, you know, I, I I look at it and I and I understand there's some there's some clauses in the contract that it, they can kind of get out of it if they need to, but what that does to me is it sends. A, I mean, like every other guy that's got a receiver goes. Thank yeah, you. Right? I love it when guys, they're going, oh, my gosh. Whenever you hear, like, the casual fan or these sports radio shows, what are they doing this much money? I'm like, oh, my gosh, good good for him. Like, great <laughs> job by his agent. Good for him because that helps everybody. And I think the biggest shift we've seen in this free agent market is at that position. It's at the wide receiver position. So up to last year, I think we had one. I think I think Julio Jones was the only 20 plus million dollar receiver 20, on an average, right? He was at 22 and he's out of football. Like he's not even signed right now, but he was at 22 million last year. And then um, 
uh, what's his name? Uh, DeAndre Hopkins comes in and he signs a deal for 24 million, kind of raises that bar again. But then there were like three guys over 20 million a year. And now all of a sudden we've got Amari Cooper at 20. We got uh, uh, Keenan Allen, we got DJ Moore, um, Mike Williams, Chris Godwin, all guys at 20 million. And then we've got, oh, by the way, we're gonna trade Devonte Adams and he's gonna get a new deal at 28 a year. And then, oh, by the way, we're gonna trade for Tyreek Hill and he's now at 30 a year. Yeah, so exactly. the shift in the receiver market to me was the biggest was the biggest sea change we've seen, you know, in, in this free agency period anyway, as right. I see it. Now, like like you and I have been around the game for a long time, right? And one of the things that you can say about college football, and you can certainly say it about the National Football League, is it's a copycat game. You yep. run the wishbone at texas and then all all of a sudden oklahoma's doing it then 80 teams in america are doing it then all of a sudden you know it's the the next thing then the next thing by the way even if you don't have the personnel to run it there are still coaches yeah, you want to run. exactly yeah. exactly yeah. but that's the way to win right yeah same thing now i see in the national football league draft a quarterback get him in his rookie contract build around it that was the josh allen deal right but then the Rams go the other direction and say, no, we're going to trade those first round picks for a proven commodity in Matthew Stafford to come in and elevate our team and to be Super Bowl champion. How much do you think what Les Snead has done there with not I'm not saying discounting first round picks, but certainly devaluing. And I'm going to tell you something, if, if you just use the the analytics you would say that what's the percentage of hitting on a first round quarterback about 40 right i don't think he's devaluing it at all i think he's saying my my decision point my tipping point is surety how sure am i that somebody i'm going to pick in that first round is going to give me the same benefit whether it's production or at the end of the day really wins versus somebody who i've seen in this league play for long enough I already know what he could do at this level. How many how many years do we go through the drafts where this guy is the best ever and this guy could be the best ever? And like you don't hear from him four years later. You don't even know who they are. He he his position is I'm gonna go with something I know. And so how what would you give up as a team owner or a GM to have the best chance to win a Super Bowl? Would you give up your first round draft picks? I'd give them all up. I guess like a hundred percent, but it's not a model for everybody because it also comes down to who that guy is, who that player is. Like there are teams that just go out and buy free agents and we've seen that, that doesn't, that doesn't solve anything. Um, you know, uh, Jacksonville, Jacksonville this year, let's see, time will tell, right? But Jacksonville just set a record. They just set a record with giving out $175.3 million in guarantees this off season alone. To contracts, right? They signed. They went out. They won seven seven un, unrestricted free agents. They broke the Patriots record from twenty twenty one, where they spent one hundred and sixty three million in guarantees. So, did they sign the right players? I don't. Know. We'll see. Let's if see. they did, that's the best one hundred and seventy five million dollar Shad Khan has ever guaranteed in his life. And if they didn't, then they're still back in that cycle of trying to find guys. So it's more about player selection. And when you're talking young guys. You know, it's a different path as well. You, you know, player development is 
is the key to that. It's not just picking the great guy out of college. The great guy out of college isn't always the great guy in the NFL. It's do you have a defined plan for this guy? Can you develop him and get him from the great college guy to the great pro guy? If you've got that infrastructure built into whether it's your coaching staff, your 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 administration, your ownership, then part of that is patience. Part of it also is knowing when to push and when not to push. Like there's a lot of factors. So just signing the best college pick a position guarantees you nothing if you don't have a plan for that guy. And if he also doesn't fit, and fit could be a million different things, right? If he doesn't fit, whether it's a locker room fit, it's a scheme fit, what, whatever it is. So that's what I think. I think I think Les Snead and Tony Pastores with the Rams are two of the smartest people in the league um, and, and a league full of a lot of smart people. And they just decide to do it a little bit differently. And honestly, they hung it out there, right? They hung it out there. And they're, you know, going to be passing out Super Bowl rings in June. So <laughs> I tell you, it is, it is a lot more than collecting football cards, my man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, Michael, no come kidding. on. Come on in and talk to Paul. Hello. Well, I don't know if you – I know you talked to Mike on the phone and spent, you know, some time on, on Zoom and Twitter with him, but he is maybe one of the biggest Bronco fans. Broncos. In, I, in the whole world. My, now, I'm asking, you, I'm asking you as a native of Denver, right, give my man some hope that he's going to see his blue and orange win. I have hey, plenty of hope. It's all good. It's all good. You should. You should. You know, I think I think George Payton is really smart and really good at what he does. I think the staff they've assembled is really good. I think, you know, going out and and again, Jeff, they could have drafted yet another quarterback. They yet another, yes. you know, pick a name, Brock Osweiler or Drew Locke or who you know, whomever over the years. Uh, or they said, Okay, well it's gonna cost us, but you know what? We kinda know what we're getting. So they filled that need at quarterback with one of the top tier quarterbacks in the league like hands down. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons to be, to be very optimistic about this team. Very. You've made, you've, you've made his complete day. <laughs> I'm just telling that right, right now. Michael, you we go. got any questions for Paul? Yeah, we got one from Nathan in London saying, Paul, what's the hardest thing about being an agent? Uh, recruiting. I think that's, I think that's hard because, you know, we've got, so do the math there's 1600 nfl players and there's about just under a thousand and there's been over a thousand nfl you know pa certified uh, agents so you kind of never know where your competition's coming from and i've learned over the years on that aspect of it i don't i could care less honestly we just stay in our lane we do what we do we take care of our own house and and, and that's kind of how we do it we're not everybody's cup of tea we're not the flash and dash group never have been never will be but also, it's why we have a really tight knit group of clients. Um, I, I've represented over 600 guys over the years, and uh, uh, the recruiting is still obviously it's 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 the most you know challenging part of it, I think. But other than that, like I get to talk to teams and talk football all day long. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I love that. <laughs> Especially when you're a five nine DB from Maine and a five nine center from from Springfield. Amen. <laughs> hey, self awareness is a huge thing, Jeff. So hey, at least I realize it in college and not afterwards. So ab ab absolutely. 
Paul, it's been a pleasure as always having you on the show. Thank you so much My for pleasure. giving us some insights into the whole free agency and the agent deal. And I'd love to have you back anytime you want to come back. Anytime at all, guys. You got it. Talk to you soon. Best, Paul. Thanks, Take care, right. Mike. Aloha. Thank you. you. Got Thank it. You. Mike, come on. Oh, this year. oh, sorry, Paul. What's up? Come out to Denver for a game this year. Well, here, they're, apparently they're coming to London. So, I mean, yeah, I mean Mike, it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be hard, Paul, to do London, Denver, and then Arizona in February, you know, for the Broncos. But uh, Jeff, it was a joke. Tell I'll, I'll try and get over. Find I'll, a I'll way. You either find a way or you find an excuse. So That's it. There you, you go. Ah, there you go. Uh, I'm just telling you, my season tickets in, in Denver are right on row one behind the visitor bench. So you're invited when you come here. That's, that's incredible. Thanks so much, man. I, I really appreciate it. And yeah, right. Here, hopefully see you soon. You got it. Take care, right, man. Take nice care, man. All right. one. You Thank got you. Man, it doesn't get any better, does it? What a great guy. Yeah, well, you that's go fantastic. from Michael from Dublin to Michael in the first row behind the visitor's bench in, in uh, Mile High Stadium. Not to make this more, and obviously thanks to Paul for coming up. It was, fantastic. it was a really, really good chat for any fan listening to that, you know, trying to learn about the game. Um, not to keep it on the Broncos, but there's big talk from um, Monday morning quarterback, uh, sorry, football morning in America, that the Rams-Broncos is going to open the season. The big rumors happening uh, in SoFi. So that's what I've heard this week. That's all I have, Jeff. That's all I have. I have your Hawaiian segment ready to go. I have your Sky Sports segment ready to go. Have you any cracker or, or any news for me before we... Uh, Hit the road, Jack, or what's what's the? Nope, just glad. It's awesome to have you again back with us, and uh, I'm glad you're healthy. I know you played hurt the last week, and and it's good to have <laughs> you back, fighting through the whatever the morass of COVID or whatever that stuff was you had. Well, just keep it keep it over there in Ireland, will you? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's a bit hard to do that now, but we'll, we'll see what we can do. Here's your Sky segment. Do you want to introduce it very quickly? Yeah, what we do is is go back to some of the stuff that we've done. Uh, we call it from the lock or from the meeting room segment and it's about uh you know teams that we watch on sky sports nfl and breaking the game down to help educate the fans about how the game is really played and schematically how you do certain things today it's about the rams run defense and what we call gap cancellation and that's where everybody is responsible for a gap and how they use seven man fronts to play eight-man front defense, which is single-gap defense. Neil, you know, when you play run defense, you talk about gap cancellations, and we, we define the gaps as this, all right? It's A, B, C, and then anything outside of that is D gap. Now, what, what that's amazing to me is that you see the Rams have to play seven gaps and only have six people. So there's no way on third and one that they should be able to convert this, all right? But watch what you've got three backups in here, right? You got Young, all right? You got Higgins, and you got Ashawn. Robinson and I want you to see where how well coached they are as I run this look at right there now if you notice where are their hands they're inside their helmets are underneath hands inside hands inside so again you've got six guys effectively able to play seven gaps and really 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 a nice job they bring a secondary player late to leverage the ball here and then reader will re leverage it here and now young will be right there and that is really really about as good as you can play gap cancellation defense low man wins hands inside 
take your gap, squeeze it to the adjacent gap. Love to watch. There is. Love <laughs> to watch me some football, and we're going to do that all through the off season. So if you get Jones in for a little technical football, just be with coffee with the coach because we'll take you to the meeting room every week. Here's the just to close out the show. Here's the Hawaiian segment. I couldn't put because it's just you'll see why in a second. It's a Hawaiian moment. This is the end of our street, and that right there is a full-fledged wild hog, which they hunt on this island. And look at her babies. Right here on the Big Island. Ain't no place like the Big Island. So if you like pork, you can get your bacon here. <laughs> Big Island oh my God. one of the only places where... The pork delivery is done by the pig. He brings it right to your right to your house. That's that's just right outside our house here. On that note, um, I'll see you next week. Yeah, <laughs> here, here, that was good crack. Obviously, for everyone listening to the podcast, please leave a review. Give give Jeff five stars. We're, we're going to try and get a big guess on over the next few weeks. Maybe you know WrestleMania this weekend. We can get the Nature Boy on. We'll see what we can do. See if we can. Maybe... Oh, as a matter of fact, I got a, that, that's a. <laughs> Any final words that you hop in off, Jeff? Yeah, all good. Just say, just want to say thank you to everybody that that uh, watches. And again, hit us up. Let us know what you're thinking, and we'll continue to keep driving to make the show better each week. Awesome, Jeff. I will see you uh, next week. Mahalo, folks. Mahalo. Aloha. <laughs>